The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Um, Welcome to those of you joining online, and uh, happy AFC Championship Day. Amen? It's fun to be in that. Um, That's not why you came, unless you're just wanting to make sure the Lord's on our side. Maybe you'll... He came to church today. Uh, we, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> Last week, we learned how the Lord um, still heals crippled people. And it's people who are crippled spiritually that need to be restored by the power of Christ and the forgiveness of their sins. And the Lord calls us to walk out our faith. Um, and once we're healed... We learn that Romans 12 teaches us we're to be living sacrifices. So through this study of Romans about belief, um, the first 11 chapters, what God has given us. So we take all that we have learned and what God has given us. He has justified us. He's put us in a place of righteousness. We've received the righteousness of Christ, not based upon um, our merit, but based upon our belief just believing only in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He shares his righteousness with us. We get to chapter 12, we turn a corner, and now it shows us what we give to God. And we want to make sure that we're not giving what follows in the description of how one should live. How now shall we live? Based on these um, last chapters, we cannot get that before uh, what we're supposed to believe or we'll end up with legalism and hypocrisy because it's impossible to fulfill. It's not a something that we do to um, perform for God so that he will let us go to heaven. No, we go to heaven based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and our understanding of that uh, pours over into how we are to live and offer ourselves to Christ as a living sacrifice on a daily basis. So we start in chapter 12, and we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our reasonable, reasonable and acceptable worship of God. And so we see that he begins with the right relationship with God in chapter 12. Then he starts to talk about a right relationship with people, both people inside the kingdom and unbelievers who are outside the kingdom, even to the point that we are to love our enemies as ourselves. And so we look at that, and maybe we look at the Ten Commandments, and it begs the question, and it says, well, thou shalt not kill. So how do we justify sometimes that when we go to war? Are we supposed to be pacifists? And so um, most of you, you know, I have five kids, and, and they come to church, uh, but you'll notice that one of them has not been in a while. Raise your hand if you know Joel. Okay. Raise your hand if you think that Joel would ever become a United States Marine. One person. <laughs> he will graduate March 3rd. Yeah. Blew our minds. We got a call from him. We got two calls from him. He left in November, or he left in December. And our first call came um, and on our anniversary. We had just finished discipleship group, and it was not a good call. He had thought he had made a mistake. He was totally broken down, had been in boot camp for 10 days, and it was clear it was the hardest thing he had ever experienced in his life. We were able to speak some encouragement over him, and we didn't hear from him again until we got a letter on the 20th of December, and then nothing. So he's like, 
Don't know. I didn't want to tell you guys about it because I didn't know what was going to happen. And he called yesterday, thank the Lord, and he said, if, um, he said, all he has to do is qualify on his marksmanship um, next week, which his recruiter later told me that he shouldn't have any problem with that. And he will graduate on March 3rd. So we're like blown away. Joel, a Marine? What? <laughs> but, uh, and so we look at that and go, well, what if, what if he has to go to war? Is he supposed to love his enemy as himself? And so chapter 13, I say all that to say, man, the, the Lord lines out the role in our relationship with government in chapter 13 as believers. How do we function when it comes to our relationship with government? And so there's some really important things for us as believers to understand when we come to this really um, uh, important section of Scripture that has to do with authority. And so let's jump right in. I've got a few takeaways uh, that I want to share with you, and uh, hopefully we can roll right through it fairly quick. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the ruler, the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Okay, so the first takeaway as we read through this um, really important passage of Scripture is that rebelling against authority is rebelling against God. Anytime you rebel against any kind of authority in your life is ultimately a rebellion against God himself. That's what this passage teaches us. The word teaches that it is God who instituted government authorities. Now, we don't often think of things that way, but that's clearly what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. Just like God instituted marriage and just like God instituted the family, he instituted government. And it all has to do with authority. And so governing here is the word uh, uh, hooper echo. And it means to be above, superior in rank, superior in rank, authority, and power. The word subject in the original language is hupotasso, And it means to submit one's control. So it is to submit one's control to one who is superior in rank, and authority over me. And so when we look at this in the home, we see clearly that the scripture teaches um, the same kind of authority. The husband is submit to, to submit to the authority of God. The wife is submits to the husband. The kids submit to the parents. Now, again, this is not 
hey, the husband tells the wife what to do. No, the wife or the husband leads the wife and loves his wife like God leads the husband and loves the husband. And, and the two, we know it's not an authority where I'm going to tell you what to do and, and you have to, like that, that is so, that's such a misinterpretation of scripture. Um, we know that husbands and wives are given to one another as helpmates. But what it does mean is there is a hierarchy within the family, just like there is in every other institution, and there's an ability for us to walk in harmony. And, and so when we walk in the proper way, and when we are loving our wives the way Christ loves the church, and when we are functioning in the home the way that we mean it for good, we're looking at it, we're looking out for it, the wife has no problem with that. But if we are like, if you're trying to lead your wife, <laughs> if you walk out of here and you try to lead your wife and say, well, Jimmy said that you have to submit to me, you're going to need that crippled sermon again, right? <laughs> That's not the way this works. What it's saying is men know that the husband, he has a role to function and lead his home and understand he is the spiritual leader. And when he's functioning in that capacity, the wife will be able to follow him and the children will look at their mother and their father and they will see the two and, uh, that are, have become one in the harmony with, with, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there will be something happening in that home where they will be able to submit to that authority as well because there's such a proper relationship with this husband husband and wife and the creator of the universe, that there's a harmony that comes into the home instead of chaos. And that's what the scripture is teaching. And so the children are to um, submit to the authority of the parents. This is even one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother, your father and your mother uh, so that it will go well with you, the word says. And so it's about control and it's about authority. Now, in the home, I, we have always taught our kids, and this has worked well for us, and I encourage you um, with it, is, is we, we believe that when a, a person comes into the world, God chooses to bring a soul into the world um, through a mom and a dad, and this soul shows up on the planet, and that mom and dad, mom and dad they have complete control of that soul. And so it is under complete parental control. You're going to wipe the, like, it is so funny because, man, before you have kids and you see somebody with kids, and you're like, hey, snotty nose kid, why don't they get that snot wiped off there? And you're like, Ugh. And then you have a kid and you're just like, you know, you know, no problem. You're going to wipe the snot. You're going to wipe the rear. You can change diapers, feed them, bathe them, do everything for them, buy their clothes. Everything is about parental control. You do everything for them. And what we did in our home is, as, 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 a, as a parenting strategy is we immediately tried to move them from parental control to self-control. And so um, the, the, the reason we would do that is because we understood that ultimately we're going to hand them over to God and we want them to be able to take the control that they have, move from parental control, self-control, and surrender that control to God. So I sort of play a role as God in the home. 
and I'm trying to execute a leadership style in which these children can come into the world, they can rele- be released to God, and, and they submit to God's authority in their lives, and they walk that out until Christ calls them home. And so early on, man, we, we would just try to teach these kids how to control themselves. I see a kid, man, they're, they're out there playing, and one of my kids um, would fall on the ground, and they'd start screaming like they broke every bone in their body. And so what is it? As a parent, your initial reaction is, oh, my God, they broke every bone in their body. Picked them up. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Well, what I started doing is I would run up and I would look. Is there a leg twisted? And if there was not, and I assessed the situation, and this kid was not hurt, he was just crying and out of control emotionally, I did not pick him up. I said, come on, man, you're not hurt. Like, you need to shake this off and pull it together. Get control of yourself. And I started that when they were little bitty. And all of their lives, I've talked to them about parental control and self-control. And I've said to them as they were growing up, I said, if you don't um, bring yourself under control, I will put you under parental control. Do you want to be there? And when we did it early often, man, we used the reminder. And the reminder was a, a, a little board that I had the boys help me with an art project. They made a little paddle board and we wrote the reminder on it. And I asked Jonah, uh, I said, you know why we're writing the reminder on that? And he's a little bitty guy. He says, because it reminds us what we're not supposed to do. I said, that's exactly right, bro. And, it was, and so we, we did spank our kids early. And we spanked them often, but they figured it out, and we quit spanking them really early, too. Like, they, they just figured it out. Why? They need to understand parental authority. I was showing them what it's like to walk with God. Sometimes I get a divine spanking from the Lord, and he walks me through these moments, and it helps me to understand his authority in my life, and I keep placing my control under there. And so when our kids got older, we don't have a curfew in our home. We don't have a curfew. We talk about freedom. We say, you you, you have freedom in your life. And if you want freedom to increase in your life, then you need to be responsible with the control of yourself. And you need to make decisions that w- it helps me to know that I can give you more freedom. And so when they say they're going somewhere, we just say, when you're going to be home. It's fascinating. They usually say earlier that I should not have said that. <laughs> Shoot, just shot myself in the foot. I forgot I'm still raising them. Uh, but they usually say a time that I was like, oh, that, that's, that's fine with me. And then, they, they, but that, now they're taking the control of themselves and they're leading themselves. My job is I will pull you back in. And I talk to them that way. And I tell them like, hey, you've got freedom. If you want more freedom, then you need to take control of yourself and lead yourself in the right way. So that's the way the authority works in the home. Well, if we look at school, it's the teachers and the principal at work. It's um, our supervisors and managers, they're an authority over us. And so when your kids come home and they say, man, this teacher is this, this teacher is that, and this teacher just doesn't like me. That's what they're doing. They're just trying to get me in trouble, mom. You always listen to the teacher unless you have a really good reason not to. You say, really, Jim? Yeah, let me tell you a story, man. When I was in 10th grade, there was a British... Um, teacher that came to our school. He had an accent, and he was sort of filling in on a temporary purpose, and I kind of was making fun of him a little bit and did something after class. And and then we came by the hallway later that day, and I I said something disrespectful again, and me and 
my buddy ran off and I hid behind the lockers and my buddy was cracking up because I, I think I impersonated this guy is what I did. Um, and, and he came out and I was, I was hiding so he couldn't see me. And, and <laughs> I shouldn't have told this story because I'm not going to be able to finish the same. It's a funny story. It's not honoring though. I was not honoring this man. <laughs> and so he said something and my buddy, like he said, did you say that? And, he, and my buddy just starts laughing and he points at me and he gives me up, man. And the guy, and I looked at the guy and I just took off running. And I ran, and the school day was over, so I went home. And well, then then it, it came out that that I I uh, this this I I got had to go to the office the next day, and they I said no, that wasn't me. He got the wrong guy. It was not me. And I lied. I mean, I lied. And then my mom came up there, and I told mom, no, man, no, it wasn't me, mom. So my mom was trying. She went, and she even told the school, my son would not lie to me. And so we were going back up for the next meeting, and on the way, she said. Jimmy, like, we're going up there, and this man is going to lose his job. And I said, Mom, it was me. Now, why do I tell you that? Because you shouldn't always listen to your kids. And you should know that I was a believer, and your kids don't always do the right thing. And sometimes you, you need to recognize there's authority in their life. There are also sometimes you should listen to your kids, Right? I get that. But I think we're living in a society that is too quick to take the authority and wash it away and not respect the authority that is there. And, it, and society can't function that way. And you need to understand that your kids sometimes will lie to you because they are trying to figure out life as well. And they will rebel against authority. And it is your job to do your due diligence as a parent to figure out what is the proper role in a functioning with this person in authority over my kid's life in this moment in time. Um, and so we see that in work, we got managers and supervisors. In games, we got referees. God, no, man. And so it doesn't mean that we can't complain. It doesn't mean that we can't disagree. But it does mean we respect them. And it does mean we honor them because they are an authority. And we may suffer the consequences if they execute justice. Justice. <laughs> Throw that yellow thing. Lord, let us be free of those tonight. <laughs> but they are in authority in the, in the game, right? And, so, and then when it comes um, to uh, um, the world, it's government. And so in the state, we have, we have police and we have uh, city councils and governors and, and, and some people have monarchies. They have kings and there are all kinds of different governments, Right? And so our job is to submit to those who are in authority. And we submit, why? Because it's from God. That's what the passage says. That, uh, that government was instituted by God. The purpose of government is to do good. Now, the consequence, it says, that if we don't submit, if we rebel against it, uh, that authority is judgment. So that's what I'm doing in my home. I'm, I'm trying to function that way, is that uh, when there's rebellion against me as the father, I'm trying to bring about judgment, which judgment ultimately always impacts your freedom, okay? And so in the, in the world, the same thing happens, is that we, we see that um, the purpose of government, it should be to do good, right? So he, he says very clearly uh, that in verse uh, four, I believe it, no, verse two, I think it is, 
that we are, it may be four, I don't know, but, but it says that the purpose is to do good. And, and then he says that uh, we should not fear it if we're doing right. If you're driving 65 down 69, you shouldn't be afraid of a police officer. If you're driving 75, you should, and you will face the consequences. And if he pulls you over, you don't treat him like he was being rude. You're being judged because he serves in the institution of government that God has appointed, and he's just doing what government told him to do. And so you should fear it if you're doing wrong. That's why it exists, to execute judgment until the return of Christ. You see, fallen humanity left to itself unchecked only leads us to anarchy. And so God instituted government. And he says that it bears the sword for a reason. What's the reason? Punishment. Some will go, well, this is, what about the Bible talks about capital punishment? A person, a, they, they murder someone and they're found guilty and they should lose their life for it. You see, is that, is that, what about the New Testament? Does that shift? Well, right here, it says he bears the sword and the sword is used to execute that kind of judgment. And if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Judas had betrayed Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword, man, he's ready to go by to battle, but he was not in a government position to be able to do that. And what did Jesus say to him? All those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Like you kill one of these guys, Peter, you're acting outside of the realm of any authority that you have and you could lose your life for doing that. I'd never seen that until I studied this passage uh, and learned it. And then it's because uh, fallen humanity, if it is left unchecked, man, it just leads to anarchy. And that's why God instituted it. And so we submit, verse five says, because of possible punishment, so we have the fear of the punishment and also a clear conscience. And this is why people um, don't have to be in the kingdom of Christ to be able to be good at government. It's because they too have a conscience. And so the moral law, which is a, a reason for the existence of, of God, is, is one of our arguments for the existence of God, is the moral law is written on the heart of every human being. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. And so um, when we... We as believers um, are, are redeemed by the power of the Spirit. We're forgiven and uh, we are alive spiritually. Our conscience is also redeemed. Now, a, fallen, a person who is unsaved, they still have their conscience, but a person who is saved now has a supernatural conscience because in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin and teaches us about truth, then the Spirit works in conjunction with the conscience that is on every man's heart and helps us to walk out our obedience to Christ. And so he says, you, we have respect for the government and we, we submit to it because we want to have a clear conscience and we want um, to avoid any kind of punishment that might be executed on our lives. This this is why he says, you pay taxes. What a sermon you guys are getting today. Right before tax day too. He says, this is why he says, those in authority are servants of God. That's what this, this passage says. They, they're servants of God, even when they don't realize it. 
There's a lot of people, we go, man, I'm pretty sure there's some people in authority right now in Washington, D.C., and they don't know the first thing about God. And I would agree with you, but they are still servants of God. You remember when Judas, um, after Judas betrays Jesus, I talked about and they arrest him. He goes before Caiaphas, the high priest, and Caiaphas sends him on down the road before Pilate. And he goes before Pilate, and Pilate's trying to get himself out of this political mess. He's trying to please everybody, like instead of just doing what is good and right, as good government does, he's just trying to think about himself and how he can get himself into a position of promotion instead of um, thinking about the people and what's best for the people. He's thinking about him. And, 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 and so he's trying to wiggle out of this mess. His wife doesn't want him to have anything to do with Jesus because she's had a dream that she feels like she's, she's had a supernatural vision in. And, and, and here he's found himself in the midst of this and he's trying to get Jesus released. And he tells Jesus, he says, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have the power to take your life? And what does Jesus say? You would have no authority if it were not given to you from above. And we see that that's where God had appointed him to serve in that manner. And so what happens is that even though people in authority and government serve as God's servants and don't realize it, they often can get exploited by Satan and demonic powers when they're thinking about themselves because the enemy is always trying to take something that is good and pervert it, and it turns evil. You think of any sin, you see, people say all the time, well, why did God create evil? God didn't create evil. God created good stuff. And you can't have anything evil if you don't first start with something good. And every sin that you look at, you can think of any sin you want, and you will see something good that is perverted. It's twisted. It's, it's taken out of what it was originally designed to be. And, and, and that's how you get sin and evil in the world. God didn't create it. God created good. Man perverted that which was good, and evil came into the world. And there's always been a, a, a demonic power behind that. That's what we believe as believers and the scripture um, teaches. And so Satan often exploits people and perverts what is good. And for instance, this recent incident where this young man was arrested, certainly he should have given up and done what he's supposed to do. But those cops should have been able to get him arrested and, and, and then Start thinking about what is good for this young man. Not be upset that he acted the way he shouldn't have acted and beat him to death. And so they perverted something that was good and they never did shift and think about, well, maybe I'm protecting in this one sense, but then once I protect society from whatever it is, this man deserves to be heard and brought before a judge and have his day in court. And whatever it is, even if it's a minor infraction, they need to think about how do they preserve even the person who has, has done something wrong. You think about the good for that person. And if you don't, you're perverting the whole system. And so that's why we end up with bad government. As people get selfish. Even in the book of Daniel, the, uh, Mark, uh, Michael the archangel is, um, he's supposed to be coming and, and, and he says in there in Daniel, I can't remember it exactly, but he says he was delayed by the prince. He was doing, he was engaging with the prince of Persia. 
And so this is an archangel talking about engaging with the prince of Persia. He's not talking about a human being there. He's talking about demonic spiritual activity. And so there is, we live in a world where, where even in government, there are some governments that become so evil and corrupt that it leads into um, a vicious cycle of of sin and, and evil. We look at the, in World War II and, and Hitler rises to power and he's exterminating an entire race. And so we ask ourselves, well, if we're, we, you know, we go back to this original question that I was talking about, is it okay for a soldier to kill? Yes. The most unloving thing that we could do is sit aside and look at an evil empire that is rising to power that has been exploited by something demonic behind it and people are living only for themselves. They're not using the government as it was originally instituted for the good of people. Then another government needs to step in and stop that and it is unloving not to do it. And that's how you can look at what is called a just war and you step in, and, 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 but, but never are we as individuals to execute that justice. It's always up to the government to execute that justice, and we submit to that. And so we are not responsible, even for a killing that may happen in a war. We are ultimately not responsible, nor would we give an account for it if we had to do that because we are told to do that by a governor who had authority over us. And so all of those evil things that we're looking at, and we go, man, um, is there a time when I'm, I am supposed to rebel? Is there ever a time when I don't do what government tells me to do? Yes. Every time governing authorities in your life tell you to do something contrary to the word of God, you resist. That's when we resist. Even in the home. You become a follower of Jesus and you love the Lord, man, and, and your dad is an atheist and he tells you, I don't want you going to that church anymore. You say, you honor him and, and you don't say, well, you, dad, you're dumb. You're just an atheist. Well, no, you say, dad, I love you and I respect you, but I believe in Christ and I cannot listen to your counsel in this moment because the word of God calls me to be obedient to Christ before I'm obedient to you. If the government tells you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, you don't do it because it doesn't line up with the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to be in the word of God. And we still honor, I would say. You remember um, the Sanhedrin pulled Peter and John aside after they started preaching the gospel in the book of Acts and the church is blowing up, right? Like it's just growing bonkers. And the Jewish Sanhedrin, they were the leaders of Israel. Like the Sanhedrin made the decisions for the nation of Israel. They led them, especially um, during this period of time. And so they, they pulled G Peter and John in and they said, listen, man, you guys got to quit teaching in the name of Christ and you got to quit speaking his name. And when they say, they say, listen, is it right for us to listen to you or listen to God? You be the judges. And so in that moment, they weren't disrespectful to them. They just basically said, we're not going to stop. And one time they were flogged for it and they went away, not talking about how bad and evil the Sanhedrin were. They went away rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. 
And so we see that often um, this happened for believers. Now, during this time that this was written, this is what's fascinating about the word of God. Rome was, they didn't mind if you were a Christian. They just thought Christians were a sect of Judaism. They thought they were just kind of a spinoff of of Judaism itself. And so they didn't bother them that much. But in the future, after this was written, God was preparing the church and getting her ready. Because in the future, there would be evil emperors who were thinking only of themselves and so corrupt and so evil. And you can see demonic activity behind this because they started requiring that every Roman citizen observe what is called Pax Romana. They would be required to burn a pinch of incense and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Worship anything that you want the other 365 days a year, but one time a year you got to burn this incense and proclaim um, that Caesar is Lord. And the Christians wouldn't do it. And they started persecuting them and killing them because they wouldn't do it. And the, and the Lord was getting them ready for how to uh, react in side uh, of the governing authorities. And so um, we see that sometimes we do rebel. And then he goes on, and we got a little bit to cover here. He said, well, we get, it looks like we got a lot of debt. Well, that was the big part. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The second takeaway is love is the only debt we don't pay off. We are to pay off all of our debts, whatever we owe, but Paul brings us back to love because we may suffer for doing good. And so he reminds us of the importance of the sincerity of love, that, that believers are not people who just say they love others. Pe- believers are people that sincerely love people, even their enemies. And the way that we do that is he's reminding us of the debt we owe to Christ. And he's saying, it's impossible to pay back the love we have received from the Lord. We can't do it. So we're to pay everything back. But this one, he says, pay everything back except the debt of love that you have received. The expectation is that we freely give what we have not earned. You see, grace and mercy is grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from me what I do deserve. And so when he brings us back to love, He's saying, look, man, the way that you know that you know the Lord is do you love your neighbor as yourself? How much do you love yourself? What are you saving up for? What's the next purchase you want to make? Where where can you not wait to go out and eat? What article of clothing are you looking at? What color do you want to paint your house? What new furniture do you want? You see, I'm not saying any of that is wrong. I'm just saying like, well, I'm saving for me. (laughs) I'm thinking about where I want to eat. I'm thinking about what I want to buy. You love yourself automatically. It's just built in. And and the, the word is saying, love your neighbor like that. That when the work of God happens and hits your life in such a powerful way, he's saying to us, share what you have experienced. You begin to share with people what they don't deserve, right? That's grace. And you withhold from them what they do deserve. That's mercy. 
And why do you do that? Because you look at that guy and you go, he doesn't know the Lord. I know the Lord. And, and I can look at him and go, he doesn't know the Lord, and I can give him grace and, and have mercy on him and not execute my own justice and leave room for the wrath of God because I know the Lord and I, do, I know that that person doesn't know the world, Lord by the way that they're acting. If people love this way, then government's job would be easier. And if government would lead this way, our lives would be simpler. If people would just look out for the good, if government would see you're not in that position to gain power and, 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 and earn a living and see me, 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 you're there to do good for other people. And we ought to be loving. And he's saying to us as believers, man, love your neighbor as yourself. And why is he reminding us of that? Because he knows that we may suffer for doing good. And so how do we make it through that? Well, he closes in this passage of the, the letter. And he says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our, salva our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's teaching us that we are able to live this way because we understand the present time. And what is the present time? The day is coming when all wrongs are made right. And we can look at a person who would, who would not treat us justly, and we can love them because we know that God didn't give us justice. He gave us mercy. And I have walked in mercy. I've walked in grace. And I can share that mercy and that grace with a person, even who means harm for me, because I know the present day is coming. And I know I will be spared from all of the wrath of God. And this person who does not know God may not be spared. And so how may they find the Lord? It may just be that they find him through the body of Christ, which I am described to be. And so as I bear the fruit of the Spirit and I love in sincerity and I love my neighbor as myself and I'm walking out my obedience and I mean people to experience good and not harm, then the love of Christ is being shed abroad in my heart and I'm putting on Christ. I'm clothing myself in Christ and not so concerned about gratifying the desires of my flesh. And the world is looking at me as I walk this out in my home. My wife is watching me. My children are watching me. And as they follow me, if I can lead as a man of God, my wife can follow as a woman of God and my children will be the people of God. And America can return to her greatness. But it won't be because we elected somebody. There are corrupt governments all over the world. There are some people who are alive today as we sit in America, and they are under some of the most corrupt regimes that mean nothing but harm for their people. In China, you're told how many children you can have. They have to live in that, and there are believers over there. And so how do, we, how do we make it through that and endure that? We recognize the day is coming when all wrongs are made right. And he tells us to awake from our slumber because our salvation is nearer than ever. The day of judgment is coming 
and we are called to live with urgency. We do away with the darkness. We put on the armor of light. And I think it is the armor of that day, okay? Of that day. Like, like the light that will be revealed on that day is the light that we already have internally, spiritually. And as we walk in obedience to Christ and we're led of the spirit, not of the flesh, we walk in the spirit and the fullness of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit is bared out in us. It begins to impact the countenance of the flesh because our conscience is clear and we are not afraid of punishment. And even in the midst of a government that might cause us to suffer, people will see Jesus in us. And the gospel goes forward. And the big idea is that love exhibits what the law sought. The law was given, sought to bring about these things, but man was incapable of fulfilling the law. And so God did what the law couldn't do. And he transforms the heart of the human being and changes that person into the same thing as himself as he redeems him from the curse of the law that condemns him and raises him up in the spirit of Christ. And he's indwelt with the spirit of the Lord himself. And now the law is written on my heart. I don't just have the moral law written on my heart. I have the law of God to love God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and to love my neighbor as myself. And so with sincerity, I walk that out and people see God in me and they will see God in you. And we are to live with that kind of urgency. Every generation has lived with the expectation that the return of Christ was right around the corner, but no generation has been as close as we are. How close are we? Closer than we were yesterday. Should you be urgent? How now shall we live? I believe the Lord wants to raise us up and establish us as a ministry to teach people how to follow Jesus. Not to create programs for families. No, we're going to teach the word and teach people how to recognize the authority of God in their lives and how to walk in the freedom that God wants them to walk in and spread the gospel by being all that the Lord intends for his people to be. And we stay motivated by thinking about that, that day. And the, 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 the word often talks about that day. Talks about it in the Old Testament. Talks about it in the New Testament. And this is what it says in um, 2 Peter chapter 2. And you tell me how close you think we are. Beginning in verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul, who also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them, of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. You think we're living in that time? The distortion of scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since we have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Now we just close with men like, the world is broken. And the root of it is that the enemy has distracted us from the thing, especially in America, that has been a leader for the last couple of centuries. We're distracted by things that don't matter, and we have distorted the word of God. And so what is this ministry about? What I believe God wants to do with us is I believe he wants to, especially in this community that I think can influence a lot of people in the country, is he wants to establish us to correct the distortion of a lot of heretical teaching that people in our backyards, our neighbors are being influenced by. And he wants to raise us up and, and, and raise us up and even and call people to understand, men, when you believe the truth, the truth will really set you free and you can rise above all of the garbage that is distracting you and leaving you in a place that when you finally get there, you still feel like it's meaningless. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many trips you take. If you're not at peace with God, you're never going to be at peace. And if you are at peace with God, the trips and stuff are just a bonus. And the world doesn't know that. Why don't they know that? Is it because Washington is so corrupt? Is it because we don't have any leaders? No, it's because we don't have enough believers walking in the freedom that they're supposed to be walking in. And so our church and what I'm committed to do and what I'm going to teach and challenge you every week is I'm going to keep preaching the word and we're going to try to disciple you and we're going to send you out as the believers in the first century to share your faith by letting other people see you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and he shines on you and the gospel just spreads like a fire because we have always in the forefront of our minds Christ could come today 
Christ could come today. That's what life is about. Jesus came the first time and he said, I'm coming back. And OPCC, as we walk out of here today, you have a vision of the return of the groom because you are his bride. And we can look forward to that day. But there are a lot of your friends who don't have enough oil in their lamp to be ready when he shows up. And our job is to prepare them, to share with them, and let the gospel advance. And then we're living. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Even as we look to the role of government in the world, we can see you, Jesus, all over everything that is happening around us. And we know that we face an enemy. We know that spiritual warfare is going on. But Lord, we also know that we are more than conquerors. And I pray for this body of believers that you would pour forth on your spirit upon them in ways in which um, a man could never live without that presence of your spirit falling on us. And so Lord, I, I just ask with all humility and shameless audacity that you would do a work in this body of believers that we don't deserve, but we know you want to do in every generation. We pray that we could be a part of that, and we pray that you would unleash the fire of heaven to burn in each of our hearts that we might see transformation of those who don't know you. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.